All right, let's try it again. John chapter 12 is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to pause from Revelation for uh, this week and next week for Palm Sunday, uh, Good Friday, Easter Sunday. We'll be back in the book of Revelation a week from Easter Sunday. Was that the 16th? And so right now, John chapter 12 is where we're going to pick up. Uh, you should have received an email with a video from me. Is that right? Oh, good. All right, so you have no excuse. Is that what I just heard? Oh, good. I had a lot less answers on the second question. Huh, all right. So, uh, tell you a story that I shared in the video is I, I went to the car wash. The Jeep was dirty. Uh, I went up to the snow. The Jeep was dirty. I was going to get washed, and I was going to do some work at the car wash, and I met somebody, and uh, we began to have a conversation. As I said in the video, uh, he had a memorial service that day. And I'd lost a, a close friend of his. And as we were sitting there talking, and he was just not connected to a church, um, I felt just this opportunity in that moment to talk to him. And uh, the guy who died was a Mormon, had always invited him to the Mormon church, but he knew that he was not a Mormon, that he was a Protestant or a Christian, whatever you want to say. And, uh, but for a season, he's not been connected to a church. And as he left and, and went his way, we talked and swapped some information. He followed us online as, as a church. And um, I was just encouraged and I was reminded that last Sunday night, that when we gathered together, one of the things that we did was begin to pray for opportunity this Easter to share the gospel with those who are either not connected to a church or, or don't know Jesus at all. And, uh, we had, and just seeing that opportunity, seeing that connection point. And and I was just praying for him this morning. Maybe he'll come to church here. Maybe he'll go to another gospel-preaching church. Maybe he'll go to Imago Day with Daniel Jansen or Bethany Baptist with PJ or, or somewhere else or somewhere you know, that we're not connected to. But as long as they're a gospel-teaching, Bible-preaching church, I'm good. I want to see him get connected to Jesus, right? And so when we pray, we have these opportunities. And when we get these opportunities, we, we just need to be confident that we can walk into them and have those conversations. And so here's my encouragement for you. I want you to think of who is, who is it in your life that doesn't know Jesus or is not connected to a church that you want to see come to faith or you want to see come to church with you on Easter, right? Maybe it's just one person. Who's your one then? You know, maybe it's more than that. But who is that person? I want to think about that today. And I want to use that as just a, a conversation piece for us today. And then my challenge, I'm asking you to join me in a 24-hour fast from Tuesday to Wednesday, right? You'll eat dinner Tuesday night, you'll fast your breakfast and lunch, we'll gather together here, we'll pray, and then we will break our fast, we'll have a meal together, right? So I'm asking you, not just inviting you, I'm actually asking you to come, all right? I know we're supposed to excuse kids, sorry, so we love when you keep your kids with us, our kids are starting to stay with us more, we encourage that, but if your kids are going to a classroom, you can go now, because I completely forgot to do that, all right? Otherwise, just hang out. Stay with us. All good. All right. We'll blame it on me. So this week, I'm asking you to join me in a 24-hour fast. We'll break it together. We'll be here. We'll pray. The women's ministry has offered to, do, uh, to provide a meal for us, so the meal will be provided. And I would love to have you here. Then we will then gather together again Good Friday, Easter Sunday. And all this time, we're going to be praying for those people that we know who are not connected to Jesus or a church, all right? Here's your main idea for the day. Back in John chapter 12, Palm Sunday, Jesus enters into Jerusalem to begin the journey towards the cross. 
We are to prepare ourselves by prayer, fasting, and inviting others to join us. We should be preparing ourselves. As Jesus pivots and, and turns towards Jerusalem, we too should be preparing ourselves for the cross, for the death, for the resurrection. And when I say that, meaning we should treat this differently, that we should approach this week with a different level of engagement. Ashley, can you start that timer, please? And so we should treat this differently. We have this opportunity, as Pastor John said. This is that season of year where people are most likely willing to come to church. In fact, the number one reason people said they don't go to church is that no one's invited them. Consider that. And so this is our opportunity. It's not about numbers here. It's about the gospel reaching people. Okay? And so invite them. Welcome them. Come with them. So we should begin by prayer and fasting. So John chapter 12, if you need a Bible, there's one in front of you. You'll need it to follow along. It is page number 898. Let's do it. Verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. This verse starts us off with two incredibly important things. So it's the day of preparation leading into Passover, right? Passover is the biggest Jewish gathering, feast, celebration, holiday. It's like Easter for Christians. In fact, it's birthed out, uh, Easter is birthed out of Passover. But it is the highest holiday for Judaism at this point. And they're, they're remembering death passing over them. They're remembering their ancient parents, the generations long before them who were delivered out of slavery in Egypt. And how death swept through Egypt, killing the firstborn in each home except for theirs. Because theirs were the doors covered by the blood of the Lamb. Right, all foreshadowing Christ to come, all pointing us towards a story that Jesus would come later and fulfill even greater. And so as they prepare for this moment, prepare themselves for the Passover. It's the day of preparation. It's leaning into this. And we're in the same place where Jesus has just performed his greatest miracle when he raises Lazarus from the dead. Now he does this more than once. He raises people more than once from the dead. But Lazarus is different. Lazarus had been dead for days. They had already just set him away and, and like buried him. He was already in a tomb when Jesus resurrects him from the dead. And so not only has the biggest miracle he's ever done recently happened, and it's in the city that he's in, but it's also this day of preparation for Passover. And that's the setting for this passage. Those two things are keys to this passage. So verse 2, it says this. So they gave a dinner for him there, meaning the family of Lazarus. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at a table. Mary, so Mary and Martha are sisters of Lazarus. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So Mary and Martha are the sisters of Lazarus, the man that Jesus resurrected from the dead. And they are incredibly grateful for what Jesus has done for their family. Right? They've raised their brother back from the dead days after he died. There's one passage that says, 
as he goes to see him, they're like, God, he's start, or Jesus, he's starting, to sit, he's starting to stink, right? Like he's been dead a minute. Prepare yourself, right? This is that moment in that like CSI show that you watch where they put the stuff on their nose, right? It's that moment. And Jesus wisely, rather than going in, calls him out <laughs> and raises him. You're welcome. All right, so raises, raises Lazarus from the dead. And so you can imagine this moment. You can imagine, and we'll just put it in modern-day settings, like this is trending on social media, right? This is on all the cable news channels. This is what's going on. This is the story of the day. And Jesus is there, and there's also this, this holiness, this preparation time that they're preparing themselves. Jews are preparing themselves for Passover. So the, this family has a meal with Jesus there, and one is preparing the meal, and one is sitting with him, and then one is anointing him with this expensive ointment. In fact, in many places, it talks about the value of this being like a year's wages. So I don't know what you make every year. I know the average in America is lower than the average is. It takes a lot more to live in Southern California. So call it 50 grand, call it 75 grand, call it whatever. Because it's relative. Whatever you make in a year is different than what somebody else makes in a year, and you're used to what you make, right? And so I want you to hear this. A year's wages, she pours out and anoints Jesus with. This is how grateful she is for the return of her brother, for the giving back of Lazarus. Right now, Lazarus is going to eventually die again. He's human, right? You with me? Like, he, he will die. Like, he is dead today. His body somewhere. But just having this extra time with him, she's so incredibly grateful that she literally pours out a year's wages on Jesus. So here's a note for you, motivated by gratitude. The family of Lazarus shows their gratitude by serving Jesus. We can show our gratitude this Easter by joining in his mission to seek and save the lost. Now, it seems like a weird pairing of two thoughts, but they show their gratitude by giving to Jesus, giving of themselves, of, of sacrificing literally a year's wages, and giving them themselves, inviting him in their home, and having a meal, and, and cooking for him, and serving him, all those things. So they are grateful, and they, they, they join with Jesus. They welcome him in, Right? And what I wanted to tie that with is, what are we willing to do? How grateful are we for God giving us eternal life, for raising us spiritually from the dead, giving us spiritual life, a life that will not be taken away ever? That is the gospel, right? That God created us and loves us, designed us, made us, created us to be worshipers of his meaning, that our lives will bring worth or glory to God. Not just worship like when we sing songs, worship like that our lives give glory to God. But you and I know we've all sinned. We've all disobeyed that. We've all intentionally chose ourselves over God. We've all been unfaithful, if you will, to God. Think of the, the separation for husband and wife if someone is unfaithful. Think of the damage done. And we've all been repeatedly unfaithful to God. We've caused that kind of separation and pain. But God loving us so much, knowing we could never repair ourselves, so God comes to us in Jesus. So God becomes flesh. The, the Son of God becomes human. 
And Jesus lives the life that you and I are called to live, but have failed and have chosen not to. And then Jesus dies in our place. That's, the, that's where we're headed in the story, that he will give his life, trade his life to cover our sin, to take away our sin and, and to give us spiritual life, that we can live forever with him, that we can be connected to him now, that we can be a part of God's family today, and that that will last forever. So how grateful are you? How grateful are we for that? You see, here's this family that have been given a member of their family back for however long. 20 more years, 10 more years, 100 more years, who knows? They've been given their brother back, and they're so grateful for whatever time they have that this is their response to Jesus. And so my question is, how grateful are we? Do we see ourselves as resurrected from the dead? Do we see ourselves as having been given forever? And are we willing to live a life of gratitude? And we can do that today in, in lots of tangible ways. You can be a part of a church, you can give financing, you can serve, you can do all kinds of things. But my ask this week is, will you join us for 24 hours and fast and pray for people that Jesus wants to raise from the dead spiritually, that God wants to call family? And will we take the opportunity, the days that we have, and not waste them? And will you gather with us on Wednesday, and then will you gather again on Friday, and then will you gather again, and will you invite people to Friday or Sunday? that they might hear the gospel of the living Jesus? Will your gratitude for your faith drive you to do things that may be uncomfortable? Whether that be the fasting part or the inviting people part, whatever that might be. Verse four, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who, he was, who was about to betray him, John gives us that parenthetical note, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Again, a year's wages. And he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Now, we could chase down this story of Judas and, and why, but what I want to do is, is stay focused really here on Mary. Mary is the one who is sacrificially given. Judas is this kind of peripheral character who's asking questions about it, but what happens in his questions is we actually see the sacrifice made by Mary. And so again, we just ask, well, how grateful are we for our faith, for our salvation? Verse 7, Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Jesus says, leave her alone that she may keep it for the day of my burial, that she is doing something now that none of you understand yet. Right now, let's back out of the story. We're in John chapter 12. John 12, John 13, it's right in the middle of the gospel of John. It's right in the middle of the gospel of John that it pivots to the final week of Jesus' life. We go from kind of an, an intro about Jesus being God, who is creator, who created all things, and how he becomes flesh. And then we hear about his birth and his time then in ministry as he begins in a ministry, three years of ministry, and that is the first half of the book from literally creation or before creation to the final week of Jesus' life is the first 11 chapters. 12 through the end of John, the second half, all centers in and focuses in and draws us into the final week of Jesus' life. John spends half his time 
focused here. Jesus' teaching and his language changes as he begins to focus more on the cross. Now, during this three years of ministry, Jesus has told them that his disciples and those who know him and follow him that he must die. But you've got to understand, they've got it in their heads that he is their savior. They don't understand, well, how can he die and still save us, right? They don't really get it. And you have to take yourself out of knowing the whole story and set yourself in the timeline they're in and just know it'd be really hard to comprehend many of the things that Jesus says. Like when a religious leader says, what must I do to be saved? He says, you must be born again. And you can just see the guy, he looked like a dog, like, hmm? Right? Like he just... I can do that now. Post-surgery, I can, I can move a little bit. That's good, right? But you can see, like, he looks at Jesus. He says, I'm a grown man. I'm bigger than my mom. How am I, how, how am I supposed to be born again? Like, you, you got to know that when you're in the story, it doesn't always make sense. And when you're living amongst Jesus and he hasn't done everything yet, you've got to know it's probably hard to follow along. But Jesus continues to teach them, and that's why John gives us these little parenthetical notes like, yeah, we didn't get this at the time. Now, now I get it. Now, here's what Jesus is talking about, right? So Jesus says, leave her alone that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Verse 9, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on the count of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So again, this is a draw. This is bringing a crowd of people. Verse 10, so the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So this large crowd gathers, and they're gathering because Jesus is there. He's, he's known already as a teacher who does miracles and heals people, but then also they've heard the story of Lazarus, that this man who was dead is now alive, and he's there, and they go to see, and this draws a crowd. And again, it's, it's like Easter for us. There's this moment where people are willing to come. People are open to coming. The crowd is a little bigger, right? That There are more people on Easter Sunday in America in church than on any other day of the year. Second one, by the way, is Mother's Day. Smallest day, Father's Day. We'll talk about that later, man. But, uh, <laughs> and so there's this crowd. There's this crowd gathering. And they're, they're open to hearing because there's been this miracle and they've heard about him and they, they don't know everything, but they're gathering. And now listen to those who oppose Jesus, the religious elite. What they want to do is kill Lazarus. Which, by the way, since Jesus just raised him from the dead, you would think they'd go with another plan, right? Let's do something he can't overcome, right? But instead of believing you got to see their heart. Instead of believing in the man who raises the dead, they'd rather kill the man he raised from the dead. You see the hardness of heart there? That's their plan, right? So this large crowd gathers, verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast, now we're leaning towards Passover, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So crowds gather as Jesus draws near to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, as he enters in where they want him dead, will be the place where he is betrayed, arrested, falsely accused, falsely condemned, and sentenced to death, all in the span of just a few days. And he knows this as he sets his face towards Jerusalem. 
And so as he nears, this crowd is gathering together. And the crowd is beginning to call him the king of Israel. And there's this tradition of laying down palm branches. Maybe you've seen it in movies, maybe you've seen it in churches. But it is a Jewish tradition that comes from the Maccabean Revolt. And just a couple hundred years before Jesus was born, they've begun this tradition. And so they're hailing him and worshiping him and calling him the king of Israel. Verse 14. And Jesus found a young donkey, and he sat on it, just as it was written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. Note, John telling us again, his disciples didn't get it. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. So again, John fills us in. Hey, we didn't understand all of this. And so here's the setting. A hero, a champion, the new king of Israel, he's coming into Jerusalem. Now, he's going he's gonna to ride in, and what are we expecting? A gigantic stallion of some sort. And he sits on a baby donkey to ride in, right? And again, it's just antithetical to what you would think, and it's just kind of breaking their categories and their minds. They don't understand how they believe these things about Jesus, that he's their savior, he's the promised one of God, the promises of God that have been around for thousands of years since God promised a son to crush Satan's sin and death in the garden. Right as sin enters into human history, they believe this is the fulfillment of that promise, and here he comes, and it's like, wah, 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 a baby donkey. He's not there to do the things the way they think. He is there to do many of those things, just not how they think. And it's like us when we try and take sin and manage our own sin and take it into our own hands. We do it differently, and, and God wants to strip us of those efforts. God wants to take our sin. God wants to cause our repentance. Verse 17, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. So they're telling others, this is Jesus, this is what he did. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done these th this, this sign. So the Pharisees, that's the Jewish religious leadership, said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing, look, the world has gone after him. Listen, we're not achieving anything here, they're still following Jesus. And the people are telling others, this is Jesus. He's the one who raised Lazarus from the dead, right? We see these moments where people are pointing to Jesus. And again, it should spur us on and understand our role while we're here as a church, as a people, as a community of faith. Our job is to point to Jesus and point others to Jesus. Not just point one another and, and strive for Jesus ourselves, but our job is collect collectively is to help point people to Jesus. And again, we get an easy moment because Easter's like the Super Bowl, right? It's not like that, but bear with me, right? Lots of people watch Super Bowl or watch football in the Super Bowl that don't watch football all the time. Lots of people throw Super Bowl parties that don't even watch Super Bowl, don't even watch football, right? Easter's like that. People go to church who don't go to church. And they're looking for an invitation. It's that moment where people are willing. And as we see all through this passage, as Jesus pivots towards Jerusalem, enters into Jerusalem, and they begin to hail him and call him king, 
People are pointing to him and telling their story about him, witnessing about him. Verse 20, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Listen to this line, Philip went and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. So there's this kind of this, hey, we wish to see Jesus, and they go to the people that know him and follow him, and ask, how do, how do we follow Jesus? How do we get to see Jesus? Right, and again, as a disciple, you and I as disciples of Jesus, that's our job, is we should be those people that people should look to and say, hey, how do I follow Jesus? And like 1 Corinthians 11, when Paul says to the church in Corinth, he says, listen, follow me as I follow Jesus, right? You should be able to be one who is pointed at Jesus so that other people could see Jesus, not necessarily because you look perfect, but because you're pointed at the one who is perfect. That your life is imperfect, but you're pointed at the perfect Savior. That you can say, follow me as I follow Jesus. And so that's what happens to his disciples here. Now, Andrew's an interesting person. Andrew's one of the disciples. He isn't one that goes on to do, you know, huge things, write letters, do other stuff that we know of, right? But he is one of the apostles that Jesus loved and, and spent that three years with, very focused, very one-on-one or very small groupish, pouring into Here's another passage in John about Andrew. It's in John chapter 1. It says this, One of the two who heard John speak followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Each time we see Andrew in Scripture, here's what we see. He's bringing somebody else to meet Jesus. In this case, he actually brings Peter who goes on to be one of the first century leaders of the church, who goes on to write letters that we have as scripture, who is one of the disciples that makes us feel better about ourselves because he has his really good moments and then he has his really bad moments and we're like, I can relate to that. Peter is brought by Andrew, his brother. And now we have these Greeks who are looking to meet Jesus and Andrew will take them and introduce them to Jesus. That's what we know about Andrew is that he keeps bringing people to see Jesus He'll bring a little boy with some fish and some bread to Jesus, and Jesus will feed thousands. He brings his brother to Jesus. His brother will become one of the early, more profound leaders of the church. He now brings Greeks. Verse 22, Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. We have this moment right now where most people are receptive to going to church, all we have to do is engage with that, right? So here's a note for you. Who is your one? I talked about this in the beginning. Who do you want to have join you for Easter this year that doesn't know Jesus? It doesn't take a campaign, a flyer, an invite card, even a special language. To be most effective, you can pray or fast and pray. I would encourage you to do that. But a simple invite is all it takes often. It's just bringing people as an invitation to come. Now, you want to empower that invitation? Of course, we should be praying for those people, right? We should fast and pray. And again, I'm going to invite you to join us. It's a 24-hour fast. It's the easiest way to do a 24-hour fast. It's dinner to dinner, right? It's two meals. You can do this. And then we will pray for those people. And then we'll break our fast together as a family, as a church. Verse 23, And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. It's a pretty obvious metaphor, right? We all know what an apple tree looks like that bears fruit. It comes from a seed, an apple seed, right? While that seed is here, it does nothing. When that seed goes into the ground, when it dies, when it cracks open, and I know nothing about growing anything, but this is pretty simple stuff. When it does, it produces a tree that produces much fruit. From one little seed comes much fruit, right? And that's Jesus' point, is it's about multiplying into the world. It's about Jesus dying that there might be much fruit from it. It's about us dying to ourselves that, there, that our lives may bear fruit. So here's how it goes in verse 25. He says this, whoever loses his life, whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Right? If you're in discipleship here, if you've ever been through it here at all, you probably memorized the parallel verse in Luke, right? That if anyone would come after me, would follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Right? That's the idea that when we die to ourselves, that Jesus multiplies that. When we give up what we want, meaning the selfish things that we want. When we deny ourselves, we lay our lives down. When we say, okay, listen, we understand following Jesus or being a Christian to mean that I lay down everything I want and I follow Jesus. That I wake up every day with what Jesus wants for my life, seeking that. And that whatever that means for me, that I pursue Jesus. But if I love my life, if I seek to save my life, I lose everything. But when I lay my life down and seek to follow Jesus, right, deny myself, take up my cross daily, follow Jesus, then I gain everything. I gain it in this life, and I gain it forever. When we lay ourselves down, we gain more. When we deny ourselves, God multiplies it. And that's Jesus' metaphor here. Unless a seed dies, it can't bear fruit. Verse 27, he says, now my soul is troubled. Remember, Jesus knows where he's heading. He is heading into Jerusalem to be betrayed. He will then be beaten, a beating that typically kills people or can. And then he will be crucified, one of the most violent deaths ever known. He knows where he's headed. And so the amazing things he's done and, and the miracles and the teaching and the entering in and the, the palm branches and the King Jesus kind of thing is there, but Jesus knows where he's going. Jesus knows that the cross comes before the crown. Now my soul is troubled, verse 27, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. You see Jesus, this kind of this glimpse into his prayer, his whether it's spoken or internal, that he just prays, Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven and said, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there heard it and said that it thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Even God shares Jesus with others. 
Jesus begins to pray. His soul is hurting inside of him. He does not want to go to the cross. He, he wants the results of the cross. He wants you and I. But he doesn't want to endure the suffering and pain. Remember, God become flesh means he is also fully human. Means he must suffer the way you and I would suffer. Yes, he's fully God, but he's also fully human. And he must be that to go to the cross for us. His death must be a human death. But it also must be a divine self-giving. Or the sacrifice would not be enough. And so the penalty and the punishment and the sacrifice and the suffering are all in front of Jesus. And he knows this. And just imagine that you for a moment, you know where you're headed. And he has this moment and we just get a glimpse into the humanity of Jesus. My soul is troubled. In another passage, as Jesus prays in the garden, he says, if there's any other way, God, but not my will, your will be done. Jesus says, but not my will, God, your will be done. Would we say that this week? Jesus, would we join with Jesus and say, God, whatever your will is, I will join in that. So God speaks from heaven, others hear him. God points to Jesus as Savior. Verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, Jesus continues. And, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Two things happen here. He proclaims himself the Savior of the Messiah, the Christ, meaning the promised one of God. God has just validated that, spoke from heaven, and he knows, listen, this is how I will die. It's been told for a long time. The prophets have said he will die on a tree or he'll be crucified. He knows he will be hung literally between heaven and earth. Our mediator between a holy God and us, a sinful humanity, is Jesus hanging on a cross. And he says, by being lifted up on that cross, I will draw all nations this isn't a Jewish faith. This isn't a white faith or a black faith. It's, it's an all nations, Jesus says. I will draw all people to myself. That this message is for all. He says, as I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself to fulfill Scripture. Verse 34, so the crowd answered, and we have heard from the law, meaning the Torah, that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Son of man, obviously referring back to Daniel 7. It's the, the name that Jesus used for himself, pointing to the fact that he is the very Messiah, the very Savior, the promised one of God, the son of man. Again, from the prophet Daniel. And they say, but listen, we thought the son of man lives forever. How then can you die? And again, you've, you've got to bring yourself into the story because we know the whole story, or if you know the whole story, you know where it's going. He must die to cover our sin, but he also must resurrect from the grave to give us new life. But Jesus has to go through the cross before he gets the crown. Are you with me? He has to endure. He has to suffer first. And as he prays and has that moment, and even God speaks, he knows where he's headed. But not everyone understands. His own disciples don't even understand the things he's saying right now. And who could? Again, just imagine I said, I'm going to die today, but I'll be back on Sunday. You're like, that doesn't work. The math is not there. 
And that's what Jesus is saying. I'm going to die, but I'll be back. They're like, I don't get it. The Son of Man is supposed to be here forever. And he is. They don't understand what has to take place. Verse 35, so Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. The light is among you for a little while longer. While I am with you, walk in the light. He contrasts a life in Christ as a life in the light to a light in the darkness, a, light, a, a life apart from Jesus. And he gives him this, capture the moment, be in the moment, don't miss this season. I'm with you just for a short time longer. Take advantage of being with me while I'm here. And he says, do this so that you will become sons of light. I said this, it got repeated back to me. I said this uh, uh, two or three weeks ago. That there is one thing that you can do today that glorifies God, that he desires for you, that Jesus wants from you, that you cannot do in eternity. And that's share the gospel and evangelize. Because everyone in eternity will have the gospel already embedded in them. But that is not so right now. Take advantage of the moment that we live in where we can glorify God, where we can show the gospel, where we can fast and pray, where we can gather and, and bodily, corporately pray for others. Take advantage of those seasons. Take advantage of the light. I'm going to look at some responses really quick as we wrap this up. Verse 37, it says this. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and he would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. It says, Isaiah saw Christ to come and proclaimed many things about him. Isaiah is the one that proclaims the crucifixion so clearly and his resurrection. And he says, but then who believed? How come so many didn't? Because their hearts are hardened. See, sin hardens our hearts. There's people in the crowd right now who have seen the miraculous. They've seen Lazarus raised after days of being dead. They've seen Jesus turn water into wine and feed thousands of people from a little boy's lunch. They've seen people whose lives have been transformed, tax collectors who are now followers of Jesus who live generously instead of being thieves from their own community. They see this. They see the lame walk and the blind see. They see it. But they won't follow Jesus because their hearts are hard. It says their hearts are hard. Sin hardens our hearts. So here's a note for you. Sin hardens our hearts. Sin, when we do not repent of sin, our hearts grow hard and we begin to push God away. Daily repentance is critical to life in Christ. Daily repentance. Repenting of sin daily. Be it in thought or in action or in word. That we need to be in constant repentance. Because we're sinful and broken. Because we're flawed. And just give us a couple minutes and we need to repent again. Well, maybe just me, but... I think it's true of us all. See, when we don't, 
We begin to build calluses spiritually over our heart. And we begin to hear from God less. And the voice gets fainter. And sin becomes easier. And our hearts get hardened because we don't repent of our sin. Because we don't repent of known sin. Every week we gather together and we pray. There are things that we do. One of them is confession. We just confess. Every Sunday as a church we have a moment where we can confess our own sins. That we would model repentance. If you're our guest here today, if you, you're visiting with us, you're our guest today, know this, that if you meet somebody here who's a follower of Jesus and, and belongs to generations, we know we're flawed. We know we're broken. We don't think we have it all together. Our job is to live in daily repentance and to not let our hearts grow hard. Next verse says this, verse 42, Nevertheless, even many of the authorities believed in him. People of good position begin to believe in Jesus. It says, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. I want you to hear that line. They love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. They wanted the accolades from somebody else. They wanted the positional things, the money, the finances, the power, the interest, the attention. They wanted the things that come from other human beings more than they wanted the things that come from the God who created them even though they believed the truth about Jesus. Now, that can be a little confusing because we say all you have to do is believe. But when you believe, if you truly believe, your actions will change. When you believe in Jesus, it's not, it's not just here. Maybe it starts here. Maybe it starts in our hearts. Maybe it starts in our minds. I, I don't know. I know that God's Spirit awakens us and we begin to believe. But if that's true, that will transform our lives. We will change. Belief transforms behavior. And with no behavior, we're back to, do you really believe? You see, just saying, I believe that Jesus lived and died and rose again is not the same as letting that truth transform your life. That Jesus transforms lives, and that's one of the proofs that we have that we're a follower of Jesus, that things have been changed, that we couldn't possibly change. But Jesus gives us new life. So here's a note for you, respect of man or from God. You have a choice in this life. You can choose to please God or yourself, but not both. If you choose to believe God, you will enjoy life forever. If you choose yourself, you will lose everything. The passage I just quoted a minute ago, Luke 9, we'll put that on the screen. Luke 9 says, if any, and he said to them, if anyone will follow me, will come after me. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever will save his life will lose it. Whatever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses or forfeits himself? What does it matter if you make millions? What does it matter if you're the best football player ever? What does it matter you lower your golf score? What does it matter that your kids go to top-notch college? What does it matter if you lose everything in the end? What does it matter if you lose it all? To follow Jesus is a life of denying self and following him. And there is not a lack of joy. And I want you to hear like it's this miserable life. It's never been better. And it'll never be better than following Jesus. It doesn't mean it's always easy, but it's a life of denial. 
He closes with this. He says, verse 44, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I've come into the world as a light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And again, that light-dark contrast. If you believe in Jesus, you believe in God. If you believe in God, you must believe in Jesus. There's no separating the two. And if you're in Christ, you live in the light. And light exposes sin. It calls us to live in repentance. Light leads us to others. It shows the way. Apart from Jesus, we live in darkness. So who is your one? I'm going to ask this one more time. Who is your one? We'll put this on the screen. Who doesn't know Jesus that you want to join you for Easter? Jesus gave his life for us and called us to give our lives to share him with others. Will you pray and fast with us this week and invite them to join you? Will you fast from Tuesday to Wednesday, dinner to dinner? Will you gather together Wednesday night with us, 6 p.m. right here? Will you begin to identify that one or two or three or five that don't know Jesus or not connected to a church and you want to invite them to Easter? Will you fast? Will you pray? Will you join with us? And will you invite them? Believing that they will come to faith. Believing that God has placed them on your hearts for a purpose. Meanwhile, we live in that place of constantly laying down our lives, holding it open to Jesus, living in daily, constant repentance, that our hearts will not grow hard, that we will follow Jesus completely, and that we will be a light to the rest of the world. In a dark world with shootings and crime and pain and illness, our job is to be a light in that dark world. And as we are a light, we point others to Jesus. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we are here because you came to this earth, because you entered into human flesh, because you joined and came into our story that, that we might know the Father. You gave your life that we might be forgiven. You called us and awakened us with your spirit. And you have invited us to be a light to others. Jesus, help us to lay down ourselves. It is the constant thing we think about what I want, what we want, what I want to do, what I don't want to do. We need to learn how to lay that down that we might seek what you have for us. So Jesus, help us to live into that. Draw us near today as we meet, as we worship, as we open your word, as we pray, as we celebrate the sacrament of communion together as we are strengthened by you, as we are sent and blessed by you, will you empower us today to be who you've called us to be? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.